Well, tonight I want to continue what I started last week with you talking about um, and really sharing with you about the God of miracles. Because, you know, that's the God that we serve. But also, even more than that, I believe that it's something for us as a church that um, that I really uh, have had on my heart for some time about just believing God to see the miraculous happening in our midst. And, you know, and it does happen. Uh, we don't always hear about it, but I want to see more and more of it. Why? Because the Bible says that if we'll ask, God will do it. And I believe, you know, even in what I shared last week in the book of Acts, where it talks about that you've not fully preached the gospel until, number one, you've communicated the gospel, but you've also shown the gospel. And part of the gospel is the power of God moving on people's lives, whether it be in their physical body, whether it be in some type of a need, whether it be uh, even in healing or whether it be in provision or whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, I shared with you last week many times when the Lord, um, I've had this in my heart for quite a number of months and uh, I've just been sitting on it and just kind of waiting for the Lord to kind of give me the green light to go ahead and start moving uh, really and teaching and preaching these messages. And, uh, you know, one of the things that the Lord typically does with me is he always gives me a verse, gives me something, kind of a starting point. And yet this series, all I had was the title. The God of miracles. And, you know, and so, and as I began to pray about it, I'm like, okay, well, what, where do I start? And really, uh, what I just kept coming back to in my heart is that the Bible is full of miracles from the beginning to the end. And so how do you really, I mean, whether it be, you know, I mean, because so many times we, you, we see people in Scripture, and I think that we kind of make them out to be something superhuman, you know, super amazing that we could never be. And yet they're people just like us. I mean, they had to deal with things, and yet God still worked through them to do amazing things. And so there's really uh, two things that I want to stir up in you uh, tonight specifically, but also just throughout this series is this, is number one is that God does do miracles. God is still in the miracle working business. He still does the miraculous. He's still fully capable. He's not lost one ounce of ability that what we see him doing in scripture, he will still do today. And so that's one side of it, but Here's the other side, is that he will do it for you, but he'll also do it through you. And so even when we experience the power of God and the the move of God in our life, is that, man, God wants to do it through us, but it won't just affect us. It'll affect other people around us. Um, You know, I really thought about when I found out Alina was coming, she hasn't really... Uh, amazing story, uh, pretty remarkable. And I remember uh, me and Dara were married at the time, and she was in college. And I won't—I'll skip a lot of the details. Basically, she was in a pretty bad car wreck. And uh, I remember I, I wasn't able to go because they were in Colorado, but Dara went, and uh, so she was in ICU and all this stuff. And I'll spare you a lot of the gory details, but it was bad. And uh, you know, and there was a, one. I, I love this part of the story, and so I'm, that's the part I'm going to tell you about. Is that she's there and she's all like, you know, I mean, if I, if I showed you a picture, it was pretty rough. And, um, but there's this doctor who came in and, uh, cause, you know, she couldn't talk because she had a ventilator and all this stuff in. And, uh, this doctor comes in and I, I won't get all the details right, but basically he kind of made a statement about, well, what's your God going to do about this or something to that effect? You know, I mean, just flat out challenged her faith because, you know, she would be writing things down saying, God's going to heal me. And God's, you know, and just even though she couldn't say it, she could write it. And, um, you know, and he kind of challenged that. And, uh, you know, and I don't remember. Do you remember what you wrote or dare? Do you remember what she wrote? She said, I am healed. Oh, I am healed on it. Even though she's sitting there and there's monitors and hoses and thing, all kinds of stuff going on. Well, she was in the hospital for one week. That's what I was thinking. Seven days and walked out of the hospital and then came to see me. <laughs> You know, got in the car and drove from Colorado to Missouri. And uh, hmm? should have been two months recovery. 
And, uh, you know, I mean, I'll give you one detail because it's not kind of, it's, it's gory, but it's, it's still clean. She was half scalped back to, I mean, most of you don't know it. She's got a scar from back here that goes all the way across. And you can barely, barely see it. And they told her she'd never have any function in her forehead. But, you know, she went to a doctor a number, huh? Yeah, she can raise her eyebrows and all these things. And, you know, I mean, there's so much about it that is just amazing. And yet it's a miracle that happened in her life. And yet now we get to experience really some of the fruit of it. But yet God worked miraculously in that situation and for her. And many times I believe that even though that's like an amazing story that's like, oh, my gosh, I've never had anything like that happen to me. I believe many times God does miraculous things that we're not even aware of because we're not really paying attention to it, and yet, you know, but yet God wants to and will and does do miraculous things for us. And, you know, and last week I was sharing with you even about, um, you know, I looked at, and we were looking in Acts chapter 4, about the lame man who was laid at the gate beautiful, and it says that he was there, Peter and John come by, they asked, he asked for them for some money, and they said, look, we ain't got no money, but what we do have, we're going to give you. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus. You know, and I really just was sharing with you this is that it had nothing to do with the man's faith at all. It had everything to do with Peter and John as they were walking in. They knew the authority in the name of Jesus. And that's all that was needed for a miracle to take place. So many times I think it, maybe it's just me because I'm analytical. I want to know the ins and the outs and how does this work and how to, you know, how do I create the right environment? It's just a belief in the name of Jesus is all we really have to have. And regardless of what you may face or what someone else may be facing that now you're facing, God is still a God who works and does miraculous things. And so tonight, I want to look at uh, really one particular passage of Scripture. Because I believe one of the things that can help us, especially in a time of challenge, is to look back and to see what God has done. And uh, so I want to, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. And, uh, you know, um, just so that, you know, I, I'm a definitions guy, so I'm going to give you the definition from the dictionary of what a miracle is. Um, and it's this, is that it's an extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all uh, known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural case. So I, I heard somebody describe it this way one time, is that a miracle is a violation of natural law. You know, I mean, the Bible talks about Stephen being translated from one place to another in a moment. Well, how many of you know that that's, you know, we see it in Star Trek or, you know, beam me up Scotty or something like that. Well, natural law says that's not possible. You, The human body can't move at that speed. It would kill you. And, uh, you know, to just be moved that fast. And yet, we see it in the life of Stephen. You know, and that's miraculous in and of itself. And even though that's a great and an amazing thing, I think sometimes um, that we can really almost become numb to what is happening. You know, every time somebody gets saved, that's a miracle. I mean, think about it. When one person gets saved, what does the Bible say happens in heaven? All of heaven stops and rejoices when one person comes to know Jesus. Why? Because it's miraculous. Because there's nothing natural about salvation. But it's a supernatural act that God, and we understand scripturally what happened. The Bible says we get a whole new heart. Is that, man, we had a heart that was obstinate and against God. And in a moment of time, God has now changed our heart. And so even for us as a church, when one person gets saved, we ought to join in with heaven and rejoice. And man, a miracle just happened right before our eyes. Even though it may not be, you know, somebody's limb growing out. Although I believe that's absolutely possible. 
I believe that blind eyes can open. I believe that deaf ears can open. I believe that people can just in a moment be set free by the power of God. But I don't want to become so focused on that that I miss out on the miracles that are happening all around me all the time. I mean, how many stories could we all say and talk about and share that would have some form but God? Well, that but God is where God stepped in and changed a circumstance or a situation. You know, and and so I want to look at really, uh, it's got several people in the story. And we're going to read a decent portion of scripture. And I'm going to stop and just um, share a little bit as we walk through this. It's a fairly familiar passage of scripture. But starting in verse 1 of 1 Kings 17. It says, Elisha, who was a prophet of God, it says, who was um, from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, he says, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, and the God that I serve, he says, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give word. It says, Then the Lord said to Elisha, Go to the, or go to the east and hide uh, by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. He says, Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So here's the prophet Elisha and he stands up and declares and says, Hey, there's no rain coming to the land anytime soon until I say something. I'm going to tell you, it, there's no more rain as of today. And God says, Hey, I've got provision for you, Elisha. Or Elijah, I'm sorry. And he says, This is where you're to go. This is what you're to do. And so he goes there and it, it says that birds begin to bring him, that he had water to drink and birds begin to bring him breakfast, lunch and dinner. Sitting by a river. Now that sounds, which is miraculous in and of itself, but yet the story doesn't stop here. And and I believe many times what happens is that we, even even in our own lives, what can happen is that we will get into a place similar to this where Elijah is. Where God has made provision, God has worked, God has made a way, and... All of a sudden, it seems like the situation begins to change. And we think, God, where have you gone? I thought this is what you had for me. And it goes on here in verse 5. And it says that Elisha did as the Lord told him and camped there uh, beside the east of the Jordan. It says the ravens brought him bread each morning and evening. And they drank from the brook. But in verse 7, it says, after a while, the brook dried up. He says, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Have you ever been in a moment or in a time where God had provided and God had made a way for you? And it seems like, man, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden it seems like, what happened? God, I thought this was my place of my miracle. I thought this was the place that you were going to do all these things. And yet now my miracle is drying up. Now we can talk about natural provision. We can talk about, you know, some of these types of things, which much of what we're going to look at tonight does have to do with natural provision. But yet it's so much more than just that. I mean, I, you know, in, in my mind, I would think Elisha probably has the thought like, God, we had a good thing going. You told me to come and to hang out here by the river and you were sending birds to feed me and the, the river had water and I was doing really well. So what do I do now? And I think many times for us is that we can get rattled if we're not careful in those moments. Because it's a change of season, because God's doing a new thing, because God wants to take us in a new place. And even what happens with Elijah here is maybe God no longer wants to only provide for you, but he needs you to move somewhere or to do something so that he can now display his power through us. And that's actually what begins to happen. Because God gives instructions here in verse 8. And it says, the Lord says to Elisha, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. He says, I have instructed a widow there to feed you. 
It says, So he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and said to her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her and says, Bring me a a bite of bread too. And she said to him, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. He says, I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. It says, I was just uh, gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. Now, here's something interesting to me, is that what did God say about this widow? He says, I have instructed a widow to provide for you, right? Is that not what the scriptures say? But the widow had no clue. She was completely oblivious that she actually held the miracle that Elijah needed to be sustained for that next season. She was completely unaware and Elisha shows up and says, Hey, can I have a glass of water? And then, of course, as we just read, he says, Hey, can I have something to eat? And she says, Look, I have nothing. I'm about to eat my last meal with my son and we're going to die. Verse 13 says, But Elisha said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do what you've said. But first, make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and for your son. It says, this is what the Lord, um, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops begin to grow again. So even in this moment, we see where this lady's actually going to have to take a step of faith to see a miracle happen. And it does require belief and trust and faith on our part in the Lord that God, you will work and you will do. But there's also obedience that has to be participated with. The miraculous is not just God's deal. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine this week and we weren't talking about this necessarily, but he shared with me something that his pastor says and I really liked it. And he said this in the statement was this, is that we do the possible and God will do the impossible. And many times the possible seems like, well, it's not even that, like it doesn't even make sense. Why would this lady go and make a meal for the prophet before she does? Because she says, look, I've got just enough for us to have one last meal. And yet she has a word from God. She has a promise from the Lord that says, look, if you'll listen to what's being said and if you'll walk in obedience, there will be provision not only for you, not only for the prophet, but for your entire household until the Lord changes the season and it begins to rain again. But there was an act of obedience from her in this moment. Verse 15, it says, So so she did as Elisha said, and she and Elisha and her family continued to eat for many days. And it says that she had all, uh, all this olive oil and flour left, just as the Lord had promised through Elisha. Now, I think it's interesting here because... Many times I believe that we pray and we ask God for the miraculous and we want to see God do these amazing things. And, and, and we're people of faith. And, you know, uh, you know, there's an old quote talks about people of, of, of like uh, of faith and power and, you know, quotes and people I've been around. They, they have all, until the storm hits. And then all of a sudden that faith talk flies out the window because all of a sudden there's a question like, well, God, if you were really good, this wouldn't have happened. And many times we, we want to believe God for the impossible and we want to believe God to see provision. We want to see God to do these great and mighty things. The problem is that we want to do it from the comfort of our own chair. And, and we don't want to actually be put in a place where it's like, God, I have to trust you in this moment because I can't fix this and there's nothing that I can do about it. 
See, it's easy to pray and to say, yeah, I believe God for miracles until you actually need one. And that's where it's got to become real. But how do you prepare for that moment? It's now. You prepare and you get your heart and your mind wrapped around that God, whatever may come my way, I know your word is true in my life. And I will not back off. And I know that I'm going to walk in accordance to your word, no matter what the situation may tell me. See, there's two types of theology that we can have. Which, and really it boils down to this. Either our experience dictates who God is. And many people live there. This is my life and so this is who God has to be. And that's how their theology, their belief of God is shaped. Well, you know, I'm sick so I guess God doesn't heal anymore. Or I know, you know, well this happened and God didn't come through so I guess God doesn't do that anymore. But there's another way that we can actually believe and to walk which is actually biblical which is that our view of God now shapes our circumstances and our experiences God I don't care what it may look like I care about what your word says and what your promise says to me and when we believe in a God who is miraculous and powerful God will be that God not because he ever changed But it is because of what we've decided in our heart. And just as this widow had to make a decision to go to her kitchen and to make a meal for a man that she had never met. But yet her miracle was tied to him. And you can also say the reverse. What if he had never gone to Zarephath? He would have died and her family would have died. So they were really what God used as a miracle was really for both of them. But it required both of their obedience to see it happen. He had to go and show up. I mean, you you even think about what it says when when God told him, he says, you move to Zarephath. Take everything you got and move there. Make a commitment. It's it's complete obedience. And he says that, that God would do a mighty work. You know, just through time and and walking and living with people. You know, I, I've had people ask me, you know, uh when circumstances hit. The question will come up, well, what do I do now? What happened? What do I do in this moment? Like I'm being challenged and I'm not quite sure how to wrap my brain around what's happening. And well, I know what we say and I know what the word of God says. But what in this moment, because my experience is now saying something different, what do I do at this point? It's not difficult, but here's the answer. You believe God. You don't back off and you stay with what you're believing for. Why? Because there is a miracle waiting to happen as long as you don't back off. The miraculous is not difficult, but we do what we can do. We keep our faith stirred up. We keep our trust stirred up. And we don't back off and say, God, I believe that you can provide even in the midst of a drought. You'll give me a river even where there's no water. You'll even send birds to feed me if I need that. That God, you are a God of the miraculous. That you are not short in power or ability to help me in anything that I face. And that's exactly what we see here. And yet that's still a challenge for us today. And yet, you know, and so you always come back to that is that, God, I will not back off. The Bible says that we will receive if we don't quit. That, you know, the the writer of Hebrews talks about this. I mean, he makes a statement and says that if we faint in the day of adversity, that our faith is weak. But there's something to be said as we walk this life and we walk with the Lord. 
Time after time after time, we say, man, I can see where God has provided. I can see where God has provided. But what happens sometimes is that now a new challenge comes and we forget about what God has done. We forgot about the miracles of the past, the provision of the past. We forgot about the healing of the past. We forgot about the restoration of the past. And we, if we're not careful, we can slip into a mindset that says, well, I don't know if God will do that again. Has God ever changed? Is he not still the same God who healed you and delivered you and provided for you before? Is he not the same God of Elisha? Is he not the same God of this widow? I mean, the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We read in the New Testament where it says that God is not a respecter of person. In other words, he won't do something for one that he wouldn't do for anybody. But there is obedience and there is a belief and a trust in God that just says, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do that. And I don't have to have it all figured out. I'm just going to take it one step at a time. And I'm going to take this step and then that step and then the next one and the next. And I'm going to see the miraculous happen in me and through me and around me. Now, the story doesn't end there. Most people stop reading the story there, but yet... In verse 17, the story actually continues. And you could actually say that it makes even a more dire turn. It says in verse 17, Sometime later, the woman's son became very ill. And he grew worse and worse, and finally he died. So this woman has now survived a, a drought. She's survived really eating her last meal. And now she's dealing with the death of her son. And she comes to Elisha and says, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and to kill my son? Now, can you imagine Elijah? Elisha was out there and the Lord said, Hey, you go out there by the river and I'm going to make provision for you. The brook dries up, the birds quit coming and God says, Hey, move to Zarephath, I have provision for you. He goes there and exactly what the Lord says happens, happens. And then all of a sudden, this lady's coming up to him. And saying, why have you come into my house? Why have you brought this here? And why is my son now dead? See, this lady had a miracle. She had seen the provision of God. She had seen God work. And yet she still had a question of why would this happen? Now, obviously, she doesn't have the benefit that we have of, of having all of Scripture. She doesn't have even a tenth of the knowledge or the understanding that we have of Scripture. We have the privilege of seeing all the counsel of Scripture today. We have an advantage. But yet she doesn't understand at all what's happening. You know, it's one thing to believe God for a meal. It's another thing to believe God for raising the dead. I mean, I've personally never experienced anyone being raised. Now, I know people who have seen it happen. You know, I mean, I know of a story of... How many of you know who Reinhard Bonnke is? There's a story a couple of years ago. Uh, it was, he was doing a crusade somewhere in Africa. I don't remember where. But there was a pastor who had died. And his wife, and I don't know, I'm, I'm not going to go into all the details because I won't get them all right anyways. His wife drug his body under the stage. And he laid there for days. For like two days or something. Two or three days. I don't remember exactly what it was. While he was up there preaching, that man came back to life. No one had even prayed. I mean, other than that lady just believing God was going to do something in her husband's life. Completely, I mean, and medically, I mean, think about Lazarus. Hey, after three days, hey, he's going to smell bad. And yet, those things still happen. 
I mean, I shared with you last week, uh, you know, Brother Egan actually shared it when he was here, about a man that I know that had actually been healed in a service that Brother Egan was actually doing. You know, and just surgery after surgery after surgery. It's just something supernatural happened and miraculous happened in a moment. But one of the things that you can't do and one of the things that will hinder the move of God and really the miraculous from happening in your life is to wallow in self-pity. Because really, that's even what this lady is doing. Because she says, why have you done this to me? And now Elijah's got a problem. He's got a real problem. Because now he's getting blamed for the death of this young man. And Elijah does a pretty crazy thing here. It says that Elisha says to the woman, it says, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms and carried him upstairs to the room where he was staying. And he laid his body on his bed. It says, then Elijah cried out to the Lord and says, Oh, Lord, my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? Which is just, I mean, you know, I'm like, how are you a man of God and seen so many miracles and seen all and God do all these things? And then yet you still pray. Why? Because he was a human being. He wasn't this mighty man of faith and power all the time. The Bible says that in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon them and they would do mighty things. But they, he still had thoughts and feelings and emotions and all of these things. And yet in verse 21, the story goes on. It says that Elijah stretches himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, Oh, my, uh, oh Lord, my God, please let this child live or let this child's life return to him. Says the Lord replied or heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he revived. Then Elisha brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother and says, Look, your son is alive. Now I want you to see the woman's response in verse 24. It says, Then the woman said, or told Elijah, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Isn't it the same God who fed you? For quite a time. Isn't it the same God who sent you provision? I mean, let me just remind you of this. Is that even in the ministry of Jesus, the Pharisees came and said, Hey, show us a sign. Prove to us that you are the Messiah. And and Jesus' response is, why? Now I'm going to paraphrase. He says, why? Because you wouldn't believe anyways. I mean, you know, people say that, Oh, well, if if I saw God do a miracle, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. I mean, Jesus himself said to the Pharisees, no, you wouldn't. And that's why he wouldn't do it. Why? Because they were really testing and they were trying to tempt him. And and so even in our desire to see God do miraculous, because I believe it's absolutely possible and necessary. We live in in a world that is in desperate need of the power of God. And as believers, we need to ask and petition and, be, and really have our faith out there believing that, God, you can do anything in our midst. And we can set an environment of faith to believe God to work and to do great and mighty things. Why? Because it is a testimony to the gospel. That there is power to the gospel. There is power in the name of Jesus. That we don't preach just words. Is that there is life and there is ability, not just for us, but also for others. And I would encourage you and really even challenge you with the thought is that when you, not to back away when you're faced, even in your own life, but also when other people come to you and they're facing situations, declare faith over that situation. Instead of just saying, oh, well, I'll be praying for you. Just say, can we pray right now? 
You've got pain in your body. Let's just pray. I believe God works. Why not? I mean, if it was me, I would rather you pray for me right then. Why should I be in pain any longer? I mean, you know, and we know this, but Mark 16, these signs will follow them that believe. I love the translations. It says, hands they will lay and healed they will be. You're like, well, that seems weird. What are they going to think? What are they going to think if you lay hands on them and they get healed? Oh, you're not just a kook. (laughs) You're not just great. There's actually something to this. But I can tell you this is that no miracles will happen from a person who doesn't believe that God will. It requires our part and doing what we can, which is many times just a simple, okay, God, I believe it's possible. I refuse to allow my circumstances to dictate to me who God is. But I do expect that my, uh, my, my understanding or my hope and my faith in God is going to change my circumstances and my situations. I'm not going to back off. And, I'm, you know, it's one of our core values. We believe big. I'm not going to play it safe. I don't want you to play it safe and just be like, well, God, just, you know, do this. And, and No, believe big. Why not? It doesn't take any more faith. To believe big than it does to believe small. I mean, the Bible says it just takes a little bit of faith. It doesn't take a lot. Why? Because we do the possible and we say, God, I believe even in this moment that you can do anything, that you will do exactly what you said in your word, that you will provide for me, that you will heal me, that, that you would work in a family member's life or whatever the, the, the circumstance may be. But see, you know, and it's not difficult on our part. You know, in the very next chapter, chapter 18 here of 1 Kings, we have the showdown at Mount, however you want to say it, Carmel, Caramel. It's actually Carmel, but we were having a discussion the other day about that. Different ways you can say that, but at Mount Carmel. And basically, Elisha challenges the whole nation. And says, look, we're going to put a stop to this. We're either going to serve God or we're not. And of course, the prophets of Baal, they come out there and they're dancing and shouting and cutting and doing all this crazy stuff all day. And he's heckling them. And at the end, I love what Elisha does. Because he just, the way I read it is that he just kind of quietly begins to rebuild his altar. Says, hey, put some water on it. And I want to read you his prayer because I believe many times you don't if you're not familiar with the story, what happens is that the challenge was is that we would that they would pray and whoever's God answered by fire, that that one would be God. Now, I don't know about you. I've never seen God rain down fire from heaven. But in my mind, I'm thinking you might be a little animated. I mean, Elijah had actually been pretty animated that day, kind of heckling the guys and talking to them. But yet when he begins to approach God, his his tone seems to change. And in verse 36 of First Kings 18... It says, at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah, the prophet, walks up to the altar and pray. Says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done this at your command. He says, O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought me back or brought them back to yourself. And it says, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up 
the altar and everything around it, all the water. And it says, and all the people saw it and they fell on the ground and cried out to the Lord. They have national repentance in a moment. Because of a heartfelt, honest prayer, which, you know, so many times I believe, and even uh, in this situation, Elisha didn't go in there saying, God, prove me right. Like, do this because I need the validation. His prayer was very different. And he says, Lord, prove today that I'm your servant. Prove that you're God. And God responds in a dynamic way to the point that the whole nation began to repent and say that the Lord, he's God. It was a miraculous sign in a moment, but yet, even for us, is that sometimes if we're not careful, we'll think, well, I've got to get all my ducks in a row, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and all these things have to be perfect for God to work for me. I would just encourage you, go back and read Elisha's prayer when that boy was dead. I mean, what was his statement? Like, God, why would you do this? Elisha wasn't perfect in faith by any stretch of the imagination. And yet... He could still pray and God still worked. He did what he knew to do in the natural and yet God would do the impossible. And so many times I think we we take it on like, well, I've got to do this, this, and this. And I've got to take on the responsibility. No, my responsibility and your responsibility is this. Believe God. I'm going to believe God that all things are possible to those who believe. Because that's what Jesus said. All things are possible. To those who can believe for it. No qualifiers. No conditions. No. Well in this area you can believe God in anything. No. It says all things are possible. To those who believe. God doesn't give conditions and say well. You know if you need healing I'll heal you. But don't talk to me about provision. Don't talk to me about peace. Don't talk to me about this. Don't talk to me about your family dynamic. And your you know your marriage. He says look if you can believe that I will work. I will work. If you'll trust me, I will do amazing things, not just in you, but also through you. God wants to use us as his body. So that we can display his character and display who he is. And God wants to do it. He's still the same God of the prophets of old. He's still the same God that we see working throughout the book of Acts. He still is in the miraculous working business. It's part of how he validates the gospel. And all it takes is for us to simply say, God, I won't back off. I'm going to trust you and I believe that you're going to work for me. And that you're going to show forth your goodness in my life and for me. You know, I shared this um, last week and I want to share it again. Number one, there's a couple things, but... This one isn't from last week, but I'm going to share it real quick. And then I'll share with you something that I said. Is that many times, even in my own life, I've seen it and I've seen it with others where it's like we're almost surprised when God moves and when God shows up. It's like, oh, wow, God really did something. Well, yeah, we asked him to, didn't we? Like, I believe that, that, you know, and I... Take it for what you want. But I believe that we'll get to the day where miracles are just normal. It's just a normal part of who we are as believers. Not just as a church service. I mean just us as believers. That the miraculous power of God. Why? Because, well, to see the world evangelized in a moment and in a season, it's going to have to be different than what it has been. 
God will display His glory through His people. Well, part of God's glory is His power. So this is what I shared with you last week, and I want to share it with you again is this, is that we can't make miracles happen. Now, we can pray and we can petition the Lord, God, we want to be a place where your power and your presence fall, where it moves upon people's lives. Yes, we can do that. But how they happen, when they happen, that's up to God. But what we can do is we can create an environment. Let me say it this way, is that we can create a place that is a, has a spirit of faith about it. That God, that we put no limits on what you can do in our midst. God, it doesn't, let me say it this way, it doesn't matter what walks in those back doors. That the power of God and the answer from God is available to anybody that walks in. It doesn't matter their past, doesn't matter their circumstances, doesn't matter what's going on in their life. We believe that miracles can happen and they do. And we're not going to back off and play it safe and say, well, you know, God does small miracles. Just explain to me a small miracle. Because a miracle by definition is an absolutely, like something so far beyond the natural. So there is no such thing as a small miracle. Miracles are phenomenal at every level. Completely impossible in the natural. But we want to have a, create an environment where the miraculous does happen. And it doesn't have to be strange. It doesn't have to be, you know... All these things. But what it is, it's, it's just honest and it's real. Just like Elijah, he prayed and says, and I believe that it was probably a quiet prayer. I don't think he was, you know, going up, tapping on a microphone, which obviously he didn't have. But in modern days, he wasn't yelling and making a big... He just got there and just quietly, humbly before the Lord. He said, God, I need you to answer by fire. I, I need you to, to display who you are in this moment. It wasn't about Elisha and it wasn't about his faith. It wasn't about all of these things. It was about that somebody prayed and asked the Lord to move. And God answered his prayer. See, the same is true for you. You don't have to have great faith. It's not what the Bible says. In our minds, we think, oh, well, you know, I've got to do this and do this. No, you've got to believe God. You've got to trust that he's faithful to his word to you and through you so that even whether it's something in your life or even in somebody else's life is that, man, that if God will work for me, God will work for you. And sometimes we, you know, and I said this earlier and I, you know, I believe it. I just know that it's true is that so many times we'll face a situation and it's really similar to something that God has already worked in the past, but we'll have the mentality that says, yeah, but this time it's different. Why? Why is it different this time? Is God somehow different? Is he not still that same God who would work and do great and mighty things for you? I mean, you know, one of the things that I have seen even in my own life is that many times when people first get saved, they just don't know any better than just to believe God in a crazy way. Like the limits, like, well, God says I can ask anything and he'd do it. They pray crazy prayers and we're like, oh, you can't pray like that. And then God works and you're like, well... I think, okay. But then given some time, we get churched. We get theologically correct. We get conditioned to pray safe and to believe small. And it just happens with time because people are like, hey, don't be so crazy. Like, 
That's, that's a, that, that prayer is pretty far out there. That's why I believe it's important for any church to have new believers in it. Why? Because they kind of challenge us who have been around for a while. That's why I encourage you that you need to hang out with some people that A, either aren't saved or newly saved. Because they're going to challenge you. I love getting around new believers. I was reading the Bible the other day and the Bible said this is this. How come we don't do that? That's a good question. (laughs) I mean, they don't, uh, let me say it this way. They don't know any better than to believe God. I mean, think about it. When you first got saved, when you first started living for the Lord, you didn't have money to pay a bill. Your first thought was not, what am I going to do? Your first thought was probably, God said he'd provide. All right, God, I need some help. Wasn't a pretty prayer, wasn't a nice prayer. And you look back and you're like, God provided. It's crazy. I prayed a dumb prayer and God provided. And yet somehow we get to this point where we know too much. And we're almost overly educated about God. And we say, well, I've got to do A, B, C, and D before God's going to approve my request. No, you've got to do A, which is believe him. That's it. I mean, that's why Jesus told the crowd, he says, look, you've got to have faith like a child. It's like blind faith. And really, it's just unpolluted faith. I mean, I remember when I have one of my, well, my oldest niece, she's 18 now. She's not really a, a kid. She's a young woman, which is kind of still crazy for me to think about. But when she was a little kid, you know, four or five, my parents had a stairwell in their house. It goes upstairs and... She used to, and I don't know how or what, but somehow we had created this thing where she would just be standing on the stairs. If I walked by, she'd just jump. She'd be like, David, and she'd already be in the air. Now, she was little. You know, she never questioned if I would catch her. Now, there were many times I was like, <gasps> why? Because she didn't know any better. All she knew was that if she jumped, I would catch her. It didn't matter if I was paying attention, not paying attention, in a hurry. She didn't care. She was having fun. There's that innocence, that childlike just trust. And yet that's what it takes from us. God, I, I just believe that it's possible. I believe that you're still the same God of Elisha and Elijah. I still believe that you're the God of the miraculous. I believe that you're the, the God who heals. You're the God who works. You're the God who provides. You're the God who moves. And it's that simple childlike faith that just says, God, come and show up. God, just show up in our, in our midst. As we worship, as we pray, as we begin to just set an atmosphere for the presence of God. God, just show up and, and be you. And that's when the miraculous can happen. It's just in that moment where it's like, man, God, there's, we're taking the limits off. And all we want is your presence. All we want is to see you show up. And in that moment, I I mean, I've experienced it and I've seen it happen. Time and time again, not just once, not twice, not just a handful. I've seen it time and time again. I mean, we see it throughout the book of Acts. They came together and they just said, we want to experience the presence of God and God would show up. Things would begin to happen and the church was growing and things were happening. And it's not because they had four steps to church growth. They had the presence of God and that's all they needed. They had a love for one another. 
They were of one heart and of one mind and one direction and one really pursuit. And out of that, the power of God started to flow in ways that we still look at and be like, man, wouldn't that be neat? But it's possible for us to have that today. And it just requires just an innocent, pure faith that just says, God, I believe that you are who you said you are. You can't lie and you don't change your mind. You said that you would work and do mighty things for us and we believe that you will. And I want to encourage you tonight. I, you know, I know that there's all kinds of needs and things going on in your life and, and circumstances. Believe God. Don't back off. Whatever it is, don't back off. Don't buy into the lie. That, well, this time is different. This time might be different, but your God is no different. The same God that has provided will provide. The same God who healed previously will heal now. The same God who delivered you and set you free is the same one who will do it again. But you just got to come and, and just have that pure faith that just says, God, I need your help. I need you to work for me. And when you're in that place, you'll see the miraculous happen. Not just in your life, but also in other people's life as well. But it just requires that trust and that belief in him. Amen.